Welcome to Bridging the Potential, Intergenerational Conversations That Change the World. This is James Schmidt, founding member of Living the Potential Network's Youth Advisory Council, with a question for you. What happens when you bridge the experience, education, and expertise of an elder with the curiosity, energy, and innate wisdom of a youth? It's simple. Everyone grows and the world changes for the better. One conversation, one connection, one collaboration at a time. Today's podcast is no different. Renee Beth connected me with Karen Warren, a digital technology expert who is the founder of the nonprofit Innovators of Tomorrow and the author of a book called Cybersecurity, The Children's Guide to Being Safe Online. I think you will enjoy our conversation about cybersecurity. My favorite part of this podcast was when Karen shared her perspective of the internet. I really appreciated the opportunity to see the internet from the point of view of someone who is a digital technology expert, but who is not born with the internet like I was. This is Renee Beth Poindexter, founder of Living the Potential Network and your host for today. As I wrote the book, Living the Potential, Engaging the Wisdom of Our Youth to Save the World, I set out to find ways to create spaces where people could hear what the youth have to say. And that's what this podcast is all about. I love these conversations where after listening to a youth's dreams and concerns, we connect them with a mentor who has experience and wisdom to share and who is open to learning and receiving from the innovative spirit of the youth. It's reciprocal learning at its best. I always leave these conversations inspired and I think you will too. Today, I have two amazing people. First is Karen Warren, who is an author and a technologist and a nonprofit business owner um, from Dallas, Texas. And with her today is a youth named James Schmidt, who comes to us from Salem, Oregon, who's a recent graduate from high, from a high school in uh, Salem, Oregon, and is now studying um, in college to pursue psychology. So I want to welcome both of you. Thank you for being here today. And Karen Warren, we're going to start with you. You know, you are such an amazing person. I love how you have this uh, spirit of service, that you're an author, that you actually wrote a book called Cybersecurity, The Children's Guide to Being Safe Online. I think we need that more than ever. And also you are um, running a nonprofit, which I think, you know, it's called uh, you can, I Can Code Too. <laughs> and you can tell us more about that, but your goal is to bridge gender and culture gaps in the IT field. And I think you've been in the technology field for quite a few years, so let's dig in. Tell us a little bit more about you, Karen Warren from Dallas, Texas. Thank you for being here today. What is, what is it that drives you to be a technologist, but also a servant leader and helping others know how to navigate the web? <laughs> Thank you, Renee Beth. Um, my name is Karen Warren and I, um, I've been in the IT field for 
I believe 25 years. Um, recently started a nonprofit. Um, the name is Innovators of Tomorrow Incorporated. And I recently um, um, published my first book and it's called Cybersecurity, The Children's Guide to Being Safe Online. And I, um, technology for me is, is like, is, is awesome, it's great. Um, and when I had my daughter, um, she was interested in the same things. So she would come home and tell me about her friends and things that they were doing um, online, like posting their address online and texting strangers, stuff like that, when she was a very young age, probably like six, seven years old. So it kind of concerned me. So um, I actually taught her everything, how to be responsible on the internet. I also locked her devices with parental controls. Well, apparently other parents weren't doing the same. So I received a lot of stories um, from school of kids um, being totally irresponsible online, but they don't know, of course. So um, that's where I got the idea to write the book To We don't want kids to not use the internet, but we want them to know how to use it responsibly. So I felt like if I wrote a book to teach them how to do that, that you know, it, we would look at it more as a tool instead of something that was dangerous, which it is very dangerous, but the internet, internet can do a lot of good also. So that my nonprofit, I also started that so that I could teach kids to become creators of technology instead of consumers of technology. Wow, and I think this journey for your fascination with technology started when you were, what, around, I think you told me around 10 years old. I mean, tell us like this journey because you're in the world of technology and you know, technology is, is changing faster than the speed of light, you know? And you've been in it since you were 10 years old. And I'm not yes. going to guess how old you are now, but that's, like you said, it's over 20 years or so, right? Yes. So, so what was it? how old were you? How did you get into technology and what was your journey? Um, when I was 10 years old, I basically decided to major in computer science in college. I loved video games. I was a video game junkie. So my dream job was to um, design video games and to work for a corporation, design and test video games. I like to play too, so I wanted to test them also. So that didn't happen, but my love for programming started at 10. So I would write my own like basic, it was called basic programming back then. I wrote my own basic programs, you know, like games like ping or pong or whatever, where you hit the ball, stuff like that, real simple programs, but I loved it. It was challenging for me because I, I like challenging um, work and tasks ever since I was a small kid. So I felt like I had to go into a field that would challenge me. So computer science was it. So um, like I said, I was writing programs from 10 years old. So when I actually went to college, I actually majored in information systems, management information systems. They changed the name from computer science to that by the time that I entered college. So um, like I said, I like the challenging, I like the challenge. I also love math and science. Those were my two favorite subjects. So that's why I basically chose. Yeah. And so being a woman in the field, um, you were kind of a, what do you call it? A trailblazer as well, I believe. Um, you know, and even today there aren't that many, I mean, this is a thing that you're concerned about is having more, um, you know, gender equality uh, mm -hmm. in the field of technology. So yes. how did you find your way? Cause you're in a very responsible position right now. I, would you like to share a little bit 
without revealing, you know, anything that would get you in trouble with your employer. <laughs> but <Okay. laughs> you've got a lot going on in your life in terms of what you're doing in terms of a problem solver, troubleshooter, as well as, you know, running a nonprofit, writing books. And, you know, it's like, you've got a full life plus a mom on top of it. You've got a daughter mm -hmm. that's uh, about ready to graduate from high school. So yes. how, did, how what was your path um, to climbing the ladder to be in your very responsible position now, you know, in the city of Dallas? Um, so when I graduated from college, I actually received a job offer probably three months before I graduated college. Um, so when I started, I was the only black and I was the only female on the team that I was on. Um, there was one more that came later, like maybe a month later, but it was like two of us. And um, we were like the minority basically, um, mostly men and um, mostly white men basically. So um, it was a struggle. Um, they kind of teased us and talked about us because they felt like we were coming out of college making more money than them, but we had college degrees in information systems. But a lot of people were upset. They said we were too young and we were making too much money and stuff like that. I mean, they gave us a hard time, even with training, like they had to train us. They would withhold certain information, you know, I guess because they were, they feared that we were going to take their positions or whatever. So we just had to deal with a lot of not being listened to. Um, if we had an idea or suggestion, you know, they wouldn't even listen to us or um, we wouldn't get the work that we, you know, wanted, the challenging work. They would say, oh, you can't do it. And um, I actually had a man call me a dumb blonde. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, okay. But yeah, he called me a dumb blonde. But um, so it was very, very hard for me you know, coming from college, being very vocal. I'm a very outspoken person. So it almost was like they were trying to silence us, you know, like not say anything to make our, hurt our self-esteem or whatever they were trying to do. It didn't work, but I mean, they tried it. They tried everything they could. They even tried to uh, fire us by giving us a project that they thought that we couldn't do. Um, <laughs> I actually finished a project in three days and it was supposed to take five. And it was, it was an impossible project, but I did it in three days. And I don't think they ever thought that. But so I was saved and the, actual, the other person actually didn't finish. But um, I just had to find a new position within the company. So they let me stay, but I had to move to another team. So we dealt, we just, we dealt with a lot, like feeling inferior in the field, being Black and being women. So it was very, very hard. But like I said, I just kept pushing on. So when I got my next position... Um, it was the same thing, walked into the same situation, but it got better as the years passed. But what I noticed now with my daughter growing up, when she entered ninth grade, she was, um, she chose the pathway, information technology pathway in her high school. Well, when me and I think there were five girls and she was the only black, the rest were all boys. So she was kind of concerned. She was like, mom, I don't want to stay in this class because they're, you know, they're all boys and the girls actually quit like the next day. So they got out of the class. So my daughter was the only one that stayed in. So I just talked to her and I said, if it's really what you want to do, you know, stick with it. It's, it's a good career. You know, if you really want to do this, don't let anything like that stop you. So when I started doing research, I found out that the numbers were declining for girls um, choosing technology and also minorities as 
Hispanics and Blacks, especially Hispanic boys and Black boys. Um, the, the majority is Asian men and white men in the IT field right now. So once I did research, I saw that the numbers were changing again to back when I was in school. And then I started the nonprofit based on that, the research I did from that. So what happens is they're interested until middle school. And then after middle school, they fall, by, they fall back and they choose something else because it's only boys in the class and usually white boys in the class. So they say, oh, okay, well, I see where this is going, you know. And a lot of people are discouraged by that. Not that it's a bad thing, but, you know, when there's a majority of one thing, it is kind of hard to, you know, blend in with that. So they kind of shy away from choosing technology because of that. And also we have teachers, like one of my daughter's teachers actually said something to her that she would never do this and never be that. And um, she was actually a white, a white girl, actually, but she told her, you should do something else. You would never be good in this. You know, so then you have the teachers in their ear also. Right. You know, like, wow. You yeah. know, it's just amazing. So basically, I just wanted to get in. Yeah. Yes. I just wanted to get in and tell kids, you can do what you want. Don't listen to anybody. You know, if you want to do this, keep pursuing it no matter what, you know, and you can make your own way and you can right. you know, make your own way, basically. So, you know, yeah. don't give up. just go well, for it. It's so important. It's almost like the psychology of learning and bringing who you are to your life where we need more mentors like you that combines that, you know, the wonder and the desire of what people want to learn and who they want to learn from. And, you know, unfortunately, our systems haven't really caught up to the new psychology of learning, mm -hmm. <laughs> which uh, brings me to James, you know, um, James, thank you for being here. Um, we've discussed your interest in technology and uh, maybe you could tell people a little bit about, you had some challenges about people telling you things in school that you said, mm -mm, that ain't me, you yeah. know. Uh, Want to tell your story a little bit? Yeah, I, I remember, um, I, I don't quite uh, remember this fully because I was very young at the time, uh, but I remember my parents, um, like, like to tell this story because it's uh, when they decided to homeschool me. And uh, basically they heard that the teacher in uh, my kindergarten class was telling me and, and teaching me not to read to the other kids because it was in class because it was making them feel bad that they couldn't read as well. And they thought, wow, that's, that's a really awful way to go about that. It, it feels like you're trying to suppress, you know, trying to suppress being, you know, uh, talented or something and trying to make everybody the same. And they, they didn't want that for me. So they uh, decided to homeschool uh, because, and also that was helped by the fact that neither one of them had very good experiences in public schools themselves. They were both sort of nerds and got bullied a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. And so. Yeah, so there was uh, resistance. There was resistance and learning to stand up to and be your own best person regardless. Yeah. You learned that through um, your own learning journey. Yeah. 
Is that so when you hear um, Karen's story, does that reveal some, anything that you want to share about your own learning journey other beyond the kindergarten story? Um, um, yeah, I, uh, I definitely agree with your sentiment that we want to teach kids not to not use the internet at all, but how to use it for good and how to, you know, be creators of technology and not consumers of technology. Uh, my, my parents uh, used a lot of uh, sort of shared screen time to help raise me. Um, but the main thing that they did was they uh, shared screen time with me and they would, and we would say, watch television together. And um, one of the things that that really helped me with was my autism. Because, and, uh, because I'm autistic, I had a really difficult time understanding how people worked and what, uh, and how to recognize, you know, sort of idioms and sarcasm and a lot of the reasoning uh, behind why people have the emotional reactions that they do. And when we were watching television together, uh, because they were just, you know, fictional characters on a screen, they could discuss their motivations with me and discuss, oh, well, you know, that that person, that other character felt really angry when that was said to them or really hurt. Why, why do you think that is? And why, why do you think the, the writers chose to, to make that decision about that character? And they could discuss these things with me because it was in a closed environment. It wasn't at an actual social event where people get weirded out or offended but it was in a contained environment where they could have these detailed conversations with me. And that, and that helped me a lot to figure out how people worked. Right. Well, the creative energy that you put into that, because part of your story is, you know, studying people. And I think that's related. You started studying people because you saw things differently or you're trying to figure them out. And fast forward, now you're, what, 18 years old, 19 years old. 19. 19. It's very odd. <laughs> yeah, you're 19 in your first year of college studying psychology. But then you also can think about like say, okay, I bet you there aren't any there isn't anyone in your class who would even know what a translation matrix is. <laughs> and that's something that you created. Yeah. Uh that's and and from like watching television from my parents and from interacting with all of the lovely friends that I've made at Village Home. And from those interactions, I've sort of developed a useful base of knowledge of like how, you know, sort of how to stand and um, how to talk to people that I call my translation matrix. Yeah. Well, I think I, I keep saying translation, Karen, when you hear that translation matrix, it's like, what can we, what could technology do to help us be better communicators? And I wonder if that question, because both of you, I think, love um, the game, you love playing 
computer games, right, James? You love playing computer games. Definitely. You, you and Karen have that in common. Yeah, I'm. I'm also a kind of gamer, just like Karen. <laughs> right. So, that feels a little weird to say, but. <laughs> well, I think it's really interesting because I've always been inspired. There's, you know, these rules of thought out there that says, well, don't waste your time playing computer games. But on the other hand, Karen, what is what are some of the skills that happen? And I would love to hear James's feedback on that too about computer games and the strategy that goes in, you know, I'll let you talk about it because I'm not a gamer myself, but I'd like to be, I think. <laughs> Tell us more, more about it. Okay, um, so basically um, playing a game, like if you're playing a, say for instance, a game where you're against en enemies or whatever, um, it takes critical thinking, it takes um, problem solving, and it takes reasoning, <clears throat> and all of that so you really have to think like what to do sometimes when you have all these enemies coming after you or whatever <clears throat> so you have to think about what to do and then you have to think about the key press that you're about to make on the controller so there's two different sets and it's, it really takes you have to your mind really has to be focused basically and I guess that's why I liked it so much because it kind of is kind of the same with programming you know you have to really have clear thinking and you can solve critical problems and, you know, come to a result and you actually feel accomplished once you do that. Like once you finish the level or whatever, the same way when you write a computer program, you start like from scratch and then you write a program, it does nothing. And when you finish the program, it's like this magnificent piece of work. And you're like, oh, wow, it's a sense of accomplishment. So that sense of accomplishment, along with playing games and winning the level or beating the game, they're kind of the same to me. And I know kids like to play games. So if you interject technology with that, <clears throat> like robotics, for instance, I have these robotic coding balls. So you actually tell the ball, write lines of code for the ball to make certain movements. So that's fun for kids. Um, it's like a game. So they don't actually realize that they're doing all of that, thinking critically and all that. They really don't even realize it. it's like natural once you're sitting there playing the game and you like playing games, you figure it out. So if we could apply that same type of um, thinking with games as we have in the classroom and in technology, kids would be just awesome with creating technology and other different things, so. Absolutely, well, James, I'm sure that that brings you to some questions that you would like to ask Karen about um, this journey of how she teaches kids to do this or your own game strategy. What, what key yeah. questions do you have, I, Karen? Yeah, I, I really love, um, I, I think it's really interesting that uh, those, those coding balls you have, like the, the robotics stuff, mm -hmm. that, yeah, I, I, I think I've heard a little bit about that, but I haven't um, read up much on the technology. I've played um, a couple uh, games myself where you actually have to code out what um, what you want the character to do. I think that's really interesting. What are some other, uh, uh, more on the uh, video games front, what are some uh, games you think are really healthy or really um, really educational for kids to play that are um yeah that that are like uh healthy ways 
Um, I would say <clears throat> Minecraft would be number one. Uh, My yeah, daughter loves I was... Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> Building things and stuff like that. And there's no violence, none of that. It's all like creativity. So I would say that would be number one um, as far as um, technology and learning. Um, and also I would like, like I like sports games, like the basketball games, the soccer I actually like those too, because it's like you're actually playing in a game. So you have to strategize, you know, the play or the move that you're going to do. So I think those are good too, especially for athletes or just for a fun game or whatever. And then of course they have the, um, the mystery type games where you have to find things. And I don't know a good one to think about right now, but I know a long time ago it was like Zelda, but I don't know what it is now, but something like that where you're like, you know, it's like a fantasy type game or whatever. But, um, a lot of kids like the violent games, though, the, like the, you know, violent games with the shooting and all of that. And, you know, those games are fun and everything, but they do have parental, um, a, a rating on them, you know, saying it's really not good for young children to play those games, but they gravitate towards those. So <clears throat> that's why I think it's good to try to get their focus on something else where they don't think about those and maybe challenging them a little bit more, you know, with technology and programming that that could kind of turn them, you know, away from trying to play all the violent games and everything. Yeah. I must say, I really love Minecraft as well. Um, I find that, you know, like, like you said, with the building and everything, it's, it's a really um, healthy game to play and it teaches you, it, it, kind of sneakily teaches you a lot about is about logic as well because you have mm -hmm. to and especially math because you mm -hmm. have to uh, figure out you know how many blocks does it take to build this house or you know like if I want a house that's five by that's five blocks by five blocks well, I'll probably need 25 blocks for the floor but then you realize wait the walls are the walls have to be one wider if you want a five by five area within the house so that's a seven by seven and I, I could just go on forever and well, it's, it's, it's a great pathway to be thinking about the psychology of learning you know, Karen, what you were saying is like a lot of people maybe haven't put it together. Um, and I'm thinking there's a bridge to James's interest in psychology and really understanding people. And mm -hmm. what is real and what is real learning? And it's like most people go, oh, you're just playing a game. There's no learning there. Mm -hmm. But there is yes. a lot of learning that's related mm -hmm. when they say the 21st century thinking skills. Like mm -hmm. you said, uh, critical problem, critical thinking, problem solving. Mm -hmm. being able to discern choices and make the right ones and you know through a process of elimination negotiation mediation i don't know you're studying when you're in this game space you're learning all these things the psychology of it and you're, you've been teaching these classes um on i can code too mm -hmm. and maybe observing is you know what is there some psychology that you're learning because you said in your statement about coding and gaming like they're related and a lot of mm -hmm. times people wouldn't maybe put that together but then yeah. we're living in this age of algorithms and they're kind of artificial mm -hmm. intelligence is looming here it's here now 
we need to be more aware of all this. How do we, you know, what's the psychology behind it? Would that be a good question, James, to ask? <laughs> the psychology yeah, behind definitely. It? Yeah. Um, basically, I think <clears throat> that's why I, I thought about um, talking to parents also. I wanted to start out with just kids, but after I wrote the book, um, How to Spot, it's basically how to spot a cyber criminal. And there are all types of cyber criminals, right? Cyber bullies, cyber predators. There's people that st- hack hackers. They steal your information and all of that. So <clears throat> I was thinking, okay, if I teach the kids, well, the parents may not know either. So I thought about <clears throat> bringing the parents in, also doing a session with them, and also talking to parents about games. Because a lot of parents do have the misconception that, oh, you're just wasting time. You're not doing anything. You're on that game all day. You know, but they really don't know what it takes unless you sit down and say, oh, can I play with you? <clears throat> you know, and a parent does that, they're like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? And they realize, oh my gosh, you really are doing, you know, things that I didn't even think about, like critical thinking, problem solving. You know, they don't really know unless you sit down and, and try it yourself. And that, I think, is what I need to do more is to tie the parents in with the learning because... You know, a lot of parents don't understand either. And if we can get the parents to understand, then they can help their children. Because right now they just give their kids devices. They don't know what they what they do. They don't even know what the kids are doing on the devices. They just give it to them and like, okay, here you go. And the kids are out there doing all types of things on these devices because the parents haven't told them, okay, well, you know, don't do this, don't do this or whatever, or put parental controls on it or, you know, something like that. But Basically, bringing the parents in with the children on workshops, I think, or have a separate workshop for parents and separate for children to teach them the different sides of it. For instance, um, financial literacy also, um, like teaching kids about credit. That's one thing that I really want to do. Financial literacy touches a lot of different areas, but I focus on credit now because I also have a credit consulting business. So um, I realize a lot of adults don't understand credit either. So how can the kids understand if the parents don't understand? So once again, I would like to bring the parents in on a lot of things so they can help their children develop, you know, um, different skills and different skill sets um, instead of it's like the children doing it on their own or, you know, not the parents not knowing what's going on or whatever. So, and there's a communication barrier there too, I think, between the parents and the kids. I think a lot of parents say, oh, you can't do this, don't do this. And then the kids get defensive and the kids are like, well, you know, and almost come rebellious sometimes because if the parent takes the phone, the kid is really, really upset, you know, about it. And I just think it needs to be done a different way. You can do that, but I just think parents need to, um, and kids both need to communicate better, basically, because there's a lack of communication there. I've seen with my daughter's friends, with their parents, they don't talk. Like my daughter and I, we talk about a lot. But a lot of parents and their kids, they don't talk at all, you know. Right, so, because they're so fascinated by the technology and uh, there's not healthy yes. boundaries, mm-hmm. which, you know, I'm wondering, James, what, what, yeah. what comes to mind when you um, hear parents speaking like this? I, something, um, uh, how do I say this? Uh, yeah, I definitely think there's, Uh, a troubling lack of understanding that parents can have about the digital world and 
a lot of that comes from, you know, this sort of false disconnect where people think, oh, that's just this weird, you know, it's just this weird digital world, you know, like I just said, but it's actually has a lot of relation to the real world and touches in a lot of real world places like, you know, the credit, the financial literacy you mentioned. And uh, one thing that sort of comes to mind as you're talking about kids being safe online is uh, the different uh, environments they can go to and the different uh, sites they can access that might have a lot of um, really toxic uh, disinformation on them and that can create very um, interesting yet false environments uh, like maybe you know misconceptions that this this group of people are really you know horrible demons or something like that and I was just wondering how what are some of the ways uh, you've come up to you've come up with to combat that or what are your views on that or something like that um, yeah, so basically, uh, kids, they're like, the internet knows everything. Like, you can ask the internet anything, and it knows. Like Alexa and Siri, these other um, voice-controlled apps or whatever. So, so I try to, you know, to redirect that and say, okay, you can use Google for information, but you still have to be careful, like which sites that you you get the information from. Everything on the internet is not true. Everything is not true. There is some bad information on the internet also. So the book actually helps them to, you know, determine which, what's good information, what's bad information. So um, for instance, if you're talking about like a group of people, um, that's kind of like racial bias or whatever, like they, they kind of, it kind of tells you to steer away from if they're talking about a group of people or something like that. They, and to report it, basically. Report everything, children need to report everything that they see to their parents, and then their parents can uh, tell the authorities or whoever they need to, because we have a lot of cyber predators out there also that's giving false information and trying to lure kids in to all these different crimes and um, bullying and all of that. So I think basically when I'm teaching children what's good information versus bad information, we give them a lot of clues so they'll know what to look out for. Like if there's a lot of pop-ups jumping up on the screen, when you go to a website, usually that's not a good thing. Right. Usually a backdoor Trojan or something trying to get in to steal your information, and the, um, you know, your personal information or whatever. And we try to tell them not to enter their personal information online, you know, unless they have a VPN. So we want to get into all of that, you know, oh. VPN, surfing is really, really safe. So I try to tell a lot of parents to get a VPN, which is virtual private network. And it really keeps your browsing safe. And it will tell you, like if you go to a site that's suspicious or, or has bad information or that has hackers or whatever. So it kind of alerts you to that. And also virus protection software and malware protection, or malware, malware, people say it differently. But um, all those tools, we teach the parents to have all of these tools on their kids' devices so that it will alert them if they are on something bad. 
and you know maybe it'll pop up and say report this site or report this person or whatever so those are a lot of the safe ways that we can deter children from um, visiting um, bad or dangerous sites awesome yeah i was just curious uh, i have a lot of uh you know we're in the intergenerational learning space with living the potential network and it's almost like um engaging the wisdom of our youth to save the world, right? So a lot of people go, you know what? I don't know how to do this, but my grandkids are teaching me or my, my kids have got it figured out and I ask them for help. And all of a sudden it seems like it's opening up this pathway where the youth who gravitate more towards technology learn things that they can actually share with people older than them that's earning them some sort of respect. Are you seeing any of that happening? I know James, you're you come from a, you mentioned village home, you come from village home, which is a self-directed learning community where everybody's kind of in their own, they're learning how to bring the best of who they are to their learning. And um, it's unusual, you know, to, to be able to have that kind of freedom in a learning space. And I'm just curious, Karen, if you, and that might be a connection here is like kids who aren't afraid to teach what they know with people older than them, what a wonderful opportunity when it comes to the world of technology. Yes. I think that might be something that, um, you know, I know, I'm not afraid to ask. I've got an administrative assistant who's like 18 or 17 years old. He's going to be 18. And I mean, he's managing a lot of my technology that I really don't have the time and space to learn because I'm doing other things. So wanting to like gravitate towards people's, you know, core wiring. That uh, brings me uh, to one question that just sort of popped up in my head. What's one sort of difficulty you've had in like teaching parents and kids about digital safety? What's one difficulty you've had in that that's really unintuitive or not something you would expect? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I think there was one instance where the parent knew the child was doing things on the phone, but they were resistant to doing something with the device because they didn't want their kid to be mad at them. And I was like, okay, who's the parent? <laughs> we shouldn't really care about the kid getting mad. We should really care about if you're keeping them safe. There's a difference in you just taking the device for really no reason, just because they're playing games or whatever. But if you're taking it for their safety, I think that's that kind of startled me because I was like, wow, because most parents are like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. You know, tell me how to do it. And then this one parent was very hesitant. It was almost like they were afraid to do it. And I, I really didn't understand. I was like, OK, let me think, how do I handle this or whatever? You know, how do I do it? And I was like, well. Let me do it, you know, and say that I did it, <laughs> you know, instead of you doing it, you know, put it on somebody else or whatever, just to say that, you know, you, we're just trying to keep you safe. We're trying to keep you out of trouble. You know, you have years ahead of you. We don't want you to get in trouble and end up in juvenile or whatever from doing something that you really didn't understand. So it's all about to help them. But I would say that was one case where the parent was hesitant to, to do anything. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to um, just studying where technology is going and, you know, it's almost like you said, who's, who's the parent here, right? Um, if the job of the parent is to keep um, their children safe, mm -hmm. 
how do they hold that space in a way that allows them to, you know, offer, uh, what should I say, a context for um, relationship, you know, for a family relationship. I, I think you've seen people in restaurants or back in the day when we go to restaurants, everybody's on their cell phone. You know, the fascination <laughs> with the thing that keeps people away from each other. And I'm wondering, James, with you studying psychology and, you know, communication, it's been a fascination for you. And what does technology have to do with it? You're talking to a woman here who's got over 25 years of experience in technology, and she wants to help people learn to be better communicators. But I'd have to tell you this. I've been in the IT world and I've been with technology. Not every technologist has the people skills that Karen has. <laughs> so what I'm really excited right. about, what I'm excited about is the two of you and communication about it, because you know, James, back to your story, it was people, you know, gave you a hard time because you learned differently than other people. But that difference of how you learn, you turned into an advantage. You know, and I think that's what, what Karen is talking about also, you know, so could you talk a little bit about that? Because the learning turned into an advantage to where you are now, what you can see and hear that other people can't. That's the first question. And Karen, I would say, what does technology have to do with helping more people own their own learning journey as opposed to trying to be like everybody else? So James, you're unique I, in learning, right? Yeah, I think that... Uh, the internet was really helpful in that I, so I'm a very uh, visual-based person. I, I learned uh, my autism uh, helped, uh, helped me a lot to read. That's sort of my autistic talent, if you will. Um, and it was really helpful because I was able to read a lot of stuff on the internet that helped me to educate that helped educate me on how people worked but my parents were uh, also uh, reading a lot of stuff with me and also uh, were available to talk with me about what I was reading online so they could sort of fact check me and say oh well okay, I get that you read that, but that's not really true because of this. And that's, that's not a very good site to go to. Um, and it's, and that's one way that I was able to, you know, use, use the internet to help shape my learning in a positive way. And I'm curious, uh, is there, is, are there any specific uh, anecdotes you have or sort of trends you've noticed in ways people are able to shape learning, to use the internet to shape their learning in a positive way? Yes, <clears throat> I guess um, um, I would say using it as a tool for homework to help with research. Um, it's a good tool for research, for homework or assignments or projects or whatever. And um, there are also a lot of programs like depending on what you're doing, 
like say for instance, I'm just gonna say this because that's what I think about right now, like typing, for instance, to teach you how to type. There are like typing tutor software that can help you be a faster typer. So, you know, there's a lot of programs for different things. So if there was something specific that you needed, um, like math skills, science, there's programs for, for that also. So, um, and I know there used to be a leapfrog, the little, I don't know if they still make those, but my daughter had a leapfrog when she was growing up and they had all different subjects, you know, on it. And you could also go on the leapfrog website to get additional materials. So things like that, like the math websites, the, you know, cause math skills are important, like learning your, um, what do you call it? When you learn your um, times tables and all of that. So there's a lot of different tools that you can use on the internet, positively educational tools. There's software, there's websites, there's programs that you can buy online. There's a lot of different things. And um, if we look more to um, research, telling the kids, okay, you can research this, you can research this. Any topic you wanna learn about, you can research, you know, on an educational level. And um, I think that helps. It's just the communication, the positive communication about it, I think. Um, if nobody's saying anything, they're just doing whatever. But if you have someone constantly saying, okay, redirecting that behavior to redirecting it to positive educational tools and services, I think that helps also. It's all about communication to me. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, James, in the journey of when we listen to Karen's story about what obstacles she had to overcome in order to rise to position that where she's in now you know not only is she very successful in a very competitive field but she was able to beat the odds regardless of the people that tried to put her down <laughs> there's a psychology of um, performance or a psychology of um, what is it mindset now what would be the question that we would want to ask Karen related to what kept her you know picking yourself off, dusting yourself off and putting one foot yeah. into the other. Is that kind of- Honestly, yeah, I can't, I can't quite think of a question other than just that. I like what, what does keep you going when you're faced with these weirdly impossible odds or like that weirdly impossible project that those people assigned you? Um, I turn things like that into motivation. Like I tell people all the time, um, you know, if you let, you have control over your life and your destiny, basically. So when things are thrown at you or brought to you or whatever, you, you ultimately have a choice on what you do with it. So I always took the positive side and turned everything negative into positive. And that's just because of how I grew up, I guess. I'm, I'm very strong, probably too strong. So you have to have very, very tough skin, basically, um, because it will get you down. And um, I just, but I'm not a quitter. So it only motivated me to try harder and to do better, you know? So I guess that it's easy for me, but other people, they have a hard time with it. But I try to encourage other people also and try to tell them to stick with it. Don't, don't give up. If it's something you really want to do, stick with it. Don't give up and don't let them win, basically. Do not let them win. Do not let them have that control over you. You take control of your own life, you know? And if it's something, if you can't do something at this job, leave. It's okay to leave. 
you know, don't stay and be mistreated if it's that bad where you can't handle it. Get out of there. <laughs> it's a very competitive field. You can go anywhere and find another job, basically, especially now. There's a shortage of IT jobs right now and not enough skilled people to take those jobs. Because, go back to the children, we're not picking the IT field in school. And that's another thing. A lot of schools don't even offer it. So that's another side of it. A lot of schools aren't offering this. So it's like, what do you do? It's like, how can I choose it if it's not offered? So that's another reason why I'm teaching it, trying to help the underserved communities. They're exposed to it, so. Yeah, well, I keep hearing um, there's a relationship between your love of people and problem solving, Karen. And I think it started when you said this motivation. I, you know, it's just kind of like, whatever the problem is, you found a way to solve it. It's like you tested yourself, you know? And I think that's another thing that you and James have in common. <laughs> he finds a problem, he doesn't shy away. He, you know, like faces it and uh, wants to find a way to make it work. And technology helps strengthen those tools. I mean, learning to code and learning, you know, I guess another thing about social media, um, James, you were working on a project, Voices of Unrest, and, you know, really looking at the situations that are going on in our country today. And what technology, how is technology impacting our perceptions about reality? You know, yeah. um, that might be another question that... to ask uh, Karen about what she would do about that. Yeah, what, or what is uh, some of the ways you think we can uh, use social media in a more positive manner uh, than what it's currently being used for? Because I, I find that uh, there's with the tendency of the internet to create echo chambers or to create environments where false things can seem very true. Uh, what are some ways uh, you think that can be sort of countered or counteracted? I think that, I guess having examples of responsible adults using it correctly. <laughs> We have a problem with a lot of adults also not posting the wrong things, negative things, you know. So the example, and I will bring it back to the parents every time, the parents of the children really, really, really need to, you know, spend more time communicating and talking about these things instead of not talking about it. You know, we shy away from talking about a lot of things, but sometimes we have to talk about some things because there's a lot of negative light on a lot of things if you don't show the positive side of it. So I think just sitting down having a conversation with kids, like don't post this, don't post this, or buy my book because my book actually tells you what to post, <laughs> things not to post, things not to say online, things not to do online. But um, I think it's all about education. We just don't know. Some people just don't know. And so they do it and they think it's innocent but they don't think about the repercussions that comes with it after that's done. And once you put anything on the internet, it's out there forever. That's another thing I reiterate in my book. You can delete a post, but guess what? It can be recovered. Police can recover text messages. Police can recover posts. I mean, somebody can screenshot a post and share it. Or if somebody shared it before you even screenshot it, it's still there. 
So it's best to think before you post something online because once you put it out there, somebody has either taken a picture of it, screenshot it, whatever, and shared it. So we have to be more mindful of what we post online and just be educated on how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah deleting things and you know, once once it's in like the wider internet, there there are lots of uh, sites like, say, the Internet Archive, which just exist to protect things from getting deleted. So, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, this conversation can go on for quite a while. I've really been. I just think we're at this point where I'd love to ask you, Karen, in this conversation with James. You know. For our listeners, we've been talking to Karen Warren from Dallas, Texas, who's a technologist who's who'll tell her tell us the name of her book again and her nonprofit. And then James Schmidt, who's also from he's from Salem, Oregon, and a recent graduate of high school and studying psychology and has an interest in technology. Um, but Karen, what what is it that you've learned from this conversation with James today that perhaps gives you a new insight that you didn't have before? I love talking to younger people. It's like, it's so liberating just to hear how they think about things, you know, to, in today's world. Um, so I learned a lot about, um, basically a lot about autism and how, like having your own path to learning. Um, I wanna actually learn more about that actually, because I think it will help a lot of kids, a lot of children. So I would love to have another conversation about you, with you about that. And um, also your point of views about certain things like gaming and coding and psychology. I learned a lot about that and it actually is gonna help me a lot with um, just with different things that I've been running in my head or whatever. So thank you for this conversation. And so James, um, what, what are you taking away from this conversation today as a result of meeting with Karen I've, Warren? I've had I, I got a lot uh, better perspective. That's not great grammar. Um, I got a much better pers perspective, there we go, about um, sort of the parental side of things because I've been, you know, I'm this 19 year old digital native who, you know, I was born in 2001. So I grew up just as computers were growing up basically, as computers were getting really really good and as machine learning and i'm maturing as machine learning is becoming this big buzzword and so they've always been there for me from my perspective and so it was interesting to see um you know from your your uh experience this perspective of the parents who don't necessarily who haven't grown up with this who don't necessarily understand how they work and how internet culture works and that sort of thing so i feel like i've gotten a lot better view of that perspective that's great well, I too have learned a lot by being with you today. Um, makes me want to learn a little bit more about picking up Minecraft. <laughs> yes. It's never too late to have a, a first childhood, yeah. I think. But the idea, the idea of learning how to be, um, to think through critical, 
thinking skills, problem solving, and how do you have, make learning fun where you're co-creating and you're doing it in community with other people. And it's perfect for the intergenerational learning environment. What are you going to add there, Jane? Yeah, I must say, I, I have, especially in today's day and age um, with with the quarantine and everything. Minecraft has been a really great method of hanging out with my friends. Uh, in this virtual world with no COVID, uh, we have um, a Minecraft server with Village Home that's been a really healthy outlet for the kids to, to interact with each other in a safe way. And I've had an amazing time both uh, playing on this Minecraft realm with my friends and showing my parents about this world we've made and the sort of lore we've, we've made up about this, this world. And so I've just... I, I don't want to seem like an advertisement for Minecraft, <laughs> but I've had a really great time rediscovering my childhood. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Because I think there's clues to the, you know, what youth have to teach us all. And uh, I think another thing I would say is what a powerful time to be playing and using technology and learning and growing together as a family. And I think Karen, your work, uh, tell us again, the name of your book, your nonprofit and how people can find you. Okay, my book is called Cybersecurity, The Children's Guide to Being Safe Online, and it is available on Amazon or my own website, um, karenwarren.com, and that's C-A-R-Y-N-W-A-R-R-E-N.com. My nonprofit is Innovators of Tomorrow Incorporated. The website to that is icancode2too.org. Fantastic. I don't know about you all listeners that tuned in today, but I really feel more inspired than ever and look forward to our next conversation. And thank you so much, uh, Karen Warren and James Schmidt for being with us today. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did and will join us for the next Bridging the Potential podcast. Please subscribe to have us on your podcast feed and feel free to share it with your friends. If you are interested in what we are doing here at Living the Potential Network, please visit our website www.livingthepotential.com and check out the first two chapters of Renee Best's book, Living the Potential, Engaging the Wisdom of Our Youth to Save the World. Till next time!